Welcome to the Dragon Talk. We are going to sing this entire episode. We have a special guest that would appreciate that. So let's she, sing and talk about cats. She is an opera singer. Her name is Kelly, but she's known as Opera Geek. The end! <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. I got all, I, I just got nervous. You should just yes and. Stage and fright. Gone on stage fright for our performance of this, this D&D Dragon Talk rock opera in before us. Yes. Uh, so about that. It's it's actually something that might happen. It's a thing that's real. But for those of you who are, you know, deaf to all singing, um that lucky you. I was lucky you because you didn't get to hear that off kilter uh, you know, terrible tone that we just did. Uh but yeah, we have uh Kelly Butler, uh, also known as the Opera Geek, joining this amazing interview about how to be a real life bard. For reals. For reals, as yep. well as uh how to infuse all kinds of good bardic inspiration into different classes and uh, a little bit about how she started playing and uh, all the uh, above. It was a wonderful interview. Yeah. It, you can be a bard in your everyday life. You know, I, know. I just, I mean, like her, uh, her path to uh, bardom, well, barddom. Barddom. No, it's my path to bardom, if you know what I mean. Uh huh. It's no apocalypse. But you're the barfly uh, in this I am the barfly. But she's only been uh, uh, doing uh, live streams and stuff for for like not even a year. Not even a year. That's crazy. We have a great community. We embrace all creatives. So don't be scared. Jump in. And um, I love, uh, you know, everything she talks about uh, as far as, uh, you know, D&D streams being you know, similar to radio shows or radio plays. It's something that I really appreciate while listening to all kinds of stuff like that in addition to the streams out there. And man, we got to get Satine to have her on Sirens of the Realms. I was thinking that too. Exactly. I was uh, uh, throwing that out there into the world. So they got to make that happen. Hopefully, I don't know, maybe maybe some crazy event that I'm putting on later this year. We'll see. Okay. I'm just making promises left and right. It's one of those things. The snow, the snow is getting to you. You're talking I know. crazy, Greg Tito. Can you still believe we're, we're still recording this during snow Mageddon in 2019? It was a different one. This this storm is like three storms after the first one that we had to record from my kitchen. I'm basically under snow right now as I'm recording this. Yes, I am under ice. And my neighbor <laughs> actually did build an igloo in his backyard and it was amazing. He it finished actually, it? It ha- he has two rooms in it. What? You can fit started, furniture in it. We started building an igloo and we got like about halfway done and then the new snow started falling. We're like, all right, F this, we're done. So back to the real house. Yeah. Let's the real housewives. Oh, the real housewives of Snowdom. <laughs> we come from the land of the ice and snow. Cray cray. I love it. All right. Well, uh, I don't think we have anything really crazy to announce for Dungeons and Dragons or do any news, but there's always fun things out there for you uh, to jump into. I've been playing Waterdeep Dragon Heist like crazy. Uh, So shout out to the Beetle and Grimm's uh, Pandemonium Warehouse uh, amazing Platinum Edition box. It comes in handy every single time I get to play with it. Very excited about it. Uh, And uh, my players dig it. One of these days, we're going to get Shelly to join uh, on a Monday night, but I guess it's Bachelor night, so we can't really do that. Yeah, after the Bachelor, I can do that. Sure. It's just just too hard for me right now. Well, all right. But then the Bachelorette's going to start up. It would be... be, Bachelor in Paradise is going to start up after that. It is. It's just... It's 12 months of Bachelor. (laughs) 
What if we did a bachelor in Waterdeep? Let's do it. Who would be the bachelor? Um, it would be uh, a, a man of your choosing. Perhaps he's not yet uh, versed in the ways of love. Uh, so it can be just like your, uh, your silly show that you're watching now. <laughs> but can it be set to music? That's all I ask is that it can be... The Bachelor be musical? Sung out. No, Bachelor D&D musical. We combine it all into one. The real Bachelors of musical. Of Penzance. <laughs> uh, yes. This I will happen. It. I love it. Okay. Um, let's do it. Hey. All right. Oh my God. I just what? Quinn just came in here. <laughs> Sorry. Quinny. Wow. He just stuffed his whole body with pillows and he just walked in super quietly. He just, <laughs> I, I ate too much. Oh, and he's got a full belly of pillows. Oh. And he actually looks really cute. Oh, buddy. The snowmageddon is happening and it's, yeah, it's, it's we're affecting us all. To, like, that's just how we entertain each other now. Oh man. Except my adorable. body's not actually stuffed with pillows. This is my body now. <laughs> I've just been stuffed with food and pizza. <laughs> what else do you do? Nothing. You bake, Nothing, you I eat. Say. Yeah. Lum. Ugh. Well, we are going to throw it to a segment that we recorded in the basement of your house, Shelly. Awesome. You guys were busy down there. We are extremely busy. And here <laughs> it is. Uh, well, let's talk about what's happened in the UK. Uh, yeah, did you know that there was a satellite office for TSR in the UK? Well, you're going to find out all about it in this year's segment. Cool. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know segment. Uh, this is where we take little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore and talk about them in depth for use in your game or just because we like talking about all this fun stuff. I am Greg Tito and I'm joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. We are recording this in a different location than normal. There's a lot of snow falling in Seattle right about now. And uh, so that's why it sounds a little bit different, but hopefully we'll be back to normal recording conditions soon um and uh that's apt for this discussion because we're going to talk about uh tsr and the history of tsr uh more specifically the uk office the united kingdom office of tsr um and uh how they adapted and published uh adventures uh, going forward so yeah chris what can you tell us about about this so in the early days of tsr there was a relationship between TSR and Games Workshop, whereby Games Workshop would sell some of TSR stuff to folks in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that relationship continued for some time. Uh, and then in the very early 80s, there was an attempt by TSR and Games Workshop to maybe merge mm. into one, but that never came to pass. Uh, I'm not privy to the circumstances of what kept that from happening, but that merger never happened. So TSR went and spun off its own little uh, satellite based in the UK. And Gary Gygax hired a man named Dom Turnbull to run it. And their job was to create, uh, was to, uh, take some of the content that was created in America and uh, reconcept it and re-release it for the UK. But they also created their own material. Uh, 
their first assignment or their first project was to create the second monster manual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Don spearheaded that endeavor and uh, tapped a lot of folks to create the monster content, many of whom had worked for uh, Games Workshop or Games Workshop magazines or uh, White Dwarf. And he actually also pulled some content from those magazines and put it into this second monster manual and gave it the name Fiend Folio. Oh, that's how the Fiend Folio came about. Yes. Interesting. So the, the, yes, so the first project that was released uh, by this UK studio was the Fiend Folio, and it introduced us in D&D to a bunch of novel monsters, including the Githyanki, the Grell, uh, the Slotty, and a host of other beasties. Mm-hmm. And they used a lot of UK artists to illustrate them and that kind of thing. So that came out. After that... Uh, Don's focus with his writing partner, um, gosh, what's his name? Don Turnbull. David Brown. Okay. Sat down to create a unique series of adventures with a decidedly um, underwater theme. And we have previously talked about the U series. Right. Uh, U1, The Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh, U2, Danger at Dunwater, and U3, The Final Enemy. That series was created over a period of three years between 1981 and 1983. So it basically released one a year. Uh, Even though the band U2 was around at that time, it had nothing to do with that. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) So, uh, and they were, they established a tone right off the bat that made those adventures feel very different from their American contemporaries. And one of the distinctions was a strong emphasis on story Mm. as much as location. Um, The old adventures that came out for TSR in first edition were all, uh, they had cardboard covers. They were usually between 24 and 32 pages. And they almost always had a very distinctive location. Mm -hmm. One of them that they try to, try to focus on like a dungeon or an area that exactly that all of the content right like explore yeah. this thing find this out blah blah blah. you're done exactly and so they uh took their story sensibilities with some very evocative locations so the sinister secret of salt marsh was really the first haunted house adventure mm. danger at dunwater the second one was the first adventure to feature a uh, political intrigue Oh, and uh, you could basically solve the adventure without fighting anything if oh, you cool. got into the politics, sort of figured out what was going on, and was able you were able to negotiate with all the various factions because the story centered on this idea that the people of Saltmarsh are feeling threatened by these lizard folk who have moved into the nearby swamp. Now you can go kill the lizard folk, but then you're kind of missing the point of the adventure, which is. Mm. The lizard folk have been driven from their home by encroaching Sahuagin, and they're trying to build alliances with all these other creatures to push the Sahuagin out and get home. If you can figure out what's going on, you can, as representatives of Salt Marsh, negotiate a truce with the lizard folk and help them. I see. That's really cool. So, what 
was the reason why you think uh, it had a specific storytelling feel from this UK office? Was it was it the personnel involved, or or yeah. do they think that it, that was the audience that they were they were writing for in the UK was more susceptible to to that type of content, or or what? Uh, my sense is that they were they were very sophisticated in their approach. Uh, they look they probably looked at what TSR had done up to that point and identified. Uh, something that they could do that was that felt a little bit different or a little bit deeper, no mm. pun intended, uh, <laughs> than just a stomping around the dungeon, getting treasure, and you know going home. They the lo- the other thing that they did um, is so the U series was the precursor to a later series of adventures called the UK series. <laughs> So UK1, UK2, UK3. But unlike the U series, the UK series were, for the most part, standalones. So UK1 was a standalone adventure. Now, UK2 and UK3 were actually connected to each other. And after that, they were all standalones again. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they did was they used a lot of fiend folio monsters. Oh, so it was a way of being like, okay, we made this fiend folio. Let's yes. figure out how you can let's, dramatize these things. Exactly. So let's actually use it. And that's something that was not the case in the American adventures that we're releasing, they really in the UK series emphasized fiend folio monsters. And so when you picked up these adventures, you saw these now and the fiend folio monsters were pretty eclectic and some of them very weird. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to see how they incorporated these very strange monsters into these adventures. Uh, they also, a lot of the guys working in the UK because they were so small a unit they did their own editing. They did their own cartography. Um, they brought in a guy named Graham, Graham Morris to do a lot of their design and cartography work, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the UK series. I just, I just think that growing up uh, in Britain, uh, bringing their uh, culture, the history of, of the British Isles, Celtic inspirations you know just being living in that environment made the adventures feel different right um there was a a sort of a timelessness to them the places that you were visiting had a deep historical resonance um a couple of the later adventures that they released uh, i what was it? I ate Ravager of Time mm-hmm. and X8 Drums on Fire Mountain, mm-hmm. which focused on uh, sort of like a s- swamp and then a jungle island. They really, 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 really got into creating very imaginative dungeons with villains who had very complicated motives. I think that that helps challenge what a D and D adventure should be. That's really cool. So it's it's a, a lot of the writers and cartographers and artists from TSR days were Midwesterners, just because of the right the the location you know here in the United States around the Great Lakes, um, you know. So they had those things, and I've often kind of thought about how the landscape of the Midwest shaped a lot of 
you know, D&D kind of sensibilities of like, you know, there's abandoned farmhouses and things that you could explore, blah, 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 like that. Um, so it's really interesting to think that like, okay, here's this, you know, to my knowledge, the first kind of satellite office of TSR, right? Is yeah. this UK office, you know, that they brought their own sensibilities and, and things to it. And you really see it's the first time uh, uh, D&D writers became you know, not Midwesterners and, and brought in all these different sensibilities. Now, obviously, everyone who works at the D&D office now here in, in Seattle, you know, where there's a lot of uh, uh, folks from this area, but, you know, it's eclectic from yeah. all over, right? There's folks who've moved from, you know, all over the, the, the country uh, or, or other northern countries uh, as, as, as your experiences uh, uh, attest to. But, like, I love that, that you know, it's much more of a melting pot now, but that was not the case, you know, in the early days of Dungeons & Dragons. Exactly. And uh, TSR UK eventually stopped producing stuff. Part of that was an effort by TSR to consolidate. Mm. They wanted to have everything internal. Was there a conflict ever between these two offices as far as creative, you know, juices or, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't there. That was before, (laughs) that was before my time. So I don't know other than, uh, Sorry, I'm hearing a big ding, ding, ding. I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, the I, I don't think it was a conflict. It was just like, oh, they're produ- we can solve the distribution of our product. We don't need to have a separate office creating. Mm. We can bring all the creation in centrally and just send stuff out. Got it. So I think it was a case where they just felt like they had nothing to lose by consolidating all of their creative talent in Lake Geneva. Mm-hmm. They didn't need the UK anymore, which is kind of a shame because they did have different sensibilities. Yeah. And after they stopped producing adventures, uh, I think some of that way of creating content got lost. It just disappeared. Right, that the knowledge that they had built up from from their specific uh, uh, group, um, you know, stopped being affected in the stuff that was being produced. Yeah, I can right. totally see that. But so by then, of- by then, TSR did uh, TSR in the states had sort of picked up a couple lessons. Mm. I mean, they produced uh, with Tracy Hickman and Laura Hickman a series of adventures that revolutionized their own way of doing content, including Ravenloft. Right. Arrow and other adventures. So they were evolving and they were learning some of these lessons about making sure the adventures have not just iconic locations full of monsters, but also a deep story and very interesting villains with interesting motives. So they were doing some things like that, but there's just something of way the old UK series modules were written. Mm. That kind of British idiom or that British way of sculpting language that didn't translate and never got translated after UK office closed. That's really interesting. I mean, because you think of, you know, uh, uh, Anglophile thoughts here in in North America, um, you know, uh, shape a lot of all things. I mean, mean, you know, you go from like Monty Python shaping to to what Saturday Night Live is now to... um, you know, uh, uh, shows like The Office, you know, I was that UK thing and then now the American version was kind of, so it, it's interesting that like this little infusion of inspiration um, from those in uh, the UK just made something that, you know, you feel is very American, yeah. but was inspired by what they were doing across the pond. Yeah. 
that's kind of cool. I went, when did the UK office close? When, when was that? Uh, oh gosh, that was, that would have been in the eighties. So know. mid to late eighties there is when it was uh, shut down. I have to double check that just to be sure. And uh, then, yeah. Yeah. It would have, it would have stopped probably in the eighties, but I honestly can't find the actual date. No worries. Um, and it was, it was a, it was a small house there too, right? It was only, you know, the, the, the kind of names that you mentioned, uh, was five or six people, that type of size. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how many there were at its biggest, but it was a handful. Interesting. So I, I love to think that there's these, the smaller group of designers, you know, thousands of miles away, uh, you yeah. know, just infused Dungeons and Dragons with all this kind of interesting storytelling stuff that you know, we almost take for yeah. granted now with the way we create adventures. And and they created some of the best stuff that still stands to this day, in my yeah. opinion. Um, one of my favorite adventures of all time is module UK1, Beyond the Crystal Cave, mm. where you have to go find a, a pair of young lovers who have disappeared. And in chasing them down, you enter this magical cave that transports you to this to what's called Porfirio's Garden, which is kind of like a, uh, a demi-plane, a magical realm that's kind of frozen in time, mm. where when you're drawn into that realm, time does not pass for you. And so people can disappear into there for hundreds of years, come out, and it's like they never... Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what's wonderful about this adventure is that you can get through the entire thing without fighting anything. Ah, that seems to be like a, a trend in, in their storytelling that it does, you know, combat was, was way, uh, uh, you know, not a focus anymore. Exactly. It was always about, uh, nego- if you could negotiate your way through a problem, it was encouraged. Yeah. That kind of thing. And, I love uh, that. but there's a beautiful castle that you can go into, which, uh, has you know this sleeping being inside of it? It's just kind of this very fable-like or mythological right realm, right? Which people who are steeped in you know the Arthurian legends and things like that, of course they would, of course, and yeah. that's that's the kind of thing that sort of washes over all these adventures, and it's really quite delightful. I love that. Very cool. Um, how can people get in touch with you and and uh, ask you more questions that you have to look up about the UK office? <laughs> I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Awesome. Uh, I hope to uh, hopefully talk to more folks, maybe even have them on the podcast uh, interview uh, uh, about that office because I'm fascinated now about uh, where 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 that came from and, and yeah. where they all are now. Well, Don Turnbull has passed away, sad, um, but a number of others are still out there, and um, uh, sort of one of the earliest contributors to some of the UK material, Ian Livingston, mm-hmm. is is someone uh, that. Uh, we've, you know, uh, has, has been sort of an ever-present force in the gaming community. Very cool. We'll talk to them hopefully very soon. But uh, thank you, Chris. And uh, yeah, that'll wrap it up for this Laurie Chanel. We'll be back next week with some more fun segments very soon. Thanks a lot. See, now you know everything that happened uh, across the pond Who in dealing with Dungeons and Dragons. Knew. Uh, I think Chris Perkins knew. And now oh. we all know. And it's amazing. That is so cool. I love it. Uh, speaking of amazing, let's just get right to it and bring on the amazingness that is Kelly Butler, a.k.a. Ziapra Geek. 
hi, Kelly. How are you? Hello, Greg Tito. How are you? I am fine. We are uh, talking electronically over the interwebs. Me and Shelly are recording this uh, in the snow apocalypse. Uh, so apologies for all of the amazing sound that you're hearing, right, Shelly? That's right. But it's Kelly's my- also in a snow apocalypse right now. Yeah. It's it's nice outside. Is it really? Yeah. Oh my God, we are all ring of winter holders today. It's, it's happening. It's like it's February. It's just weird. I Finally, did. it's February. It was 60 degrees last week here, and I was very confused. I miss those days. It was strange when the East Coast was, uh, uh, you know, so happy and spring-like with uh, the snowmageddon happening here on the West Coast. I know. I feel really bad. I'm like, oh, that should be my weather, but I'm really glad it's not. (laughs) You at least are equipped to handle it, unlike Seattle. Who doesn't know what how to use snow plows and like oh salt's probably bad for salmon so we shouldn't salt our roads and oh they pre treated our road is last a, night is a hill yeah I don't think we don't yeah think we, we all the roads were pre treated last night salt sidewalks were done last night because they knew this was coming yep oh my god and you guys probably have snow shovels like personally do you own a snow shovel not anymore since we mostly walk and because now where we park our car it's covered. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So I do not own a snow shovel. I have like this little collapsible one in my car just in case. Just in case. I get caught somewhere. But um, mostly, no. Um, Thankfully, the building takes care of it. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We've discovered there's two snow shovels on my whole street that we've all kind of just been borrowing. A lot of people have been pulling out their gardening (laughs) shovel. (laughs) It doesn't work the same. It really doesn't. Trying to dig (laughs) their way out. Yeah. We're just, we don't know what to do. But did you read, Greg, the top three things that Seattleites stocked up on? Did we already talk about this? No. Was it wine and wine and wine? That was not. That was only one Seattleite in particular. (laughs) Um, It was de-icer, avocados, and weed. That is the most West Coast thing ever. It is. I mean, the West Coast, like it's just kind of a joke. Like, but yeah. uh, why are we getting avocados? I mean, I know about the other two, but avocados. The avocados confuse me. I mean, I I have been known to go stock up on like bourbon or scotch. Yep. And wine makes sense. But avocados? Because avocado toast. Avocados number. I don't know. I mean, I I love avocados, but when I did do my mad dash to the store, I didn't even think about getting avocados. You are not a true millennial. That's why. I'm definitely not a millennial. You are a Gen Xer. <laughs> I am mother of through. millennial. Mother of millennials. <laughs> um, well, oddly enough, Kelly, you are you're you're not known in the D and D community for shoveling or uh, snow, uh, but for singing, or maybe even known as Kelly. That's true. I know you as your Twitter handle. Yeah, the the opera geek thing. Um, <clears throat> I mean, some people know my name, but otherwise they just call me the opera geek, which is fine. Uh, if they are going to use my name, I do request that they spell it with an I um, and not a Y. My parents loved me very much, so they made sure that my name was spelled very differently. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, uh, I, I this is... It's it's been a, an interesting not even year that this has happened. Really, not, not even, even a year. year. What my first my first stream was March of last year. Wow, 
That's crazy. It's been a, it's been a skyrocketing of uh, of, of attention. Uh, so, did you were you? Let's go. Let's go back to the beginning. Yes. Uh, when when did you start? Uh, when was your first experience playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons? Was it for this stream in March? No. So, um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, so it's a little weird. <laughs> I was telling Shelley. Um, I always have loved fantasy ever since I was little, and I was I never got a chance to play D anD. d um, I was kind of a little bit of a social outcast and by a little, I mean a lot. Um, <laughs> so my adventures with D and D was through books. Mm-hmm. So my first experience of any of the worlds connected to D and D was when I was about 11, I saved up all my allowance to buy R.A. Salvatore's cleric quintet. Nice. And so that was my introduction. Uh, and then it just kept snowballing. I just wanted more and more and more. Um, so when I met my husband in college, after we got married, um, our best friends are also married to each other, mm-hmm. not to us. That would be weird. Um, <laughs> so my best friend's married to his best friend. And so right after we got married, um, he was like, why don't I do a one shot when we go visit their house? I was like, I don't know. I've never actually played, you know? And he says, no, 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 no. You know, you kind of you've played enough MMOs, you know how the class system works, you know, you can, mm-hmm. you can do this. So we did. And that was uh 3.5. <laughs> oh, so, that's what I learned on too. Yeah. That's the, that's the one that got me, uh, not banned from Paladin, <laughs> but strongly suggested against. I Wait, swear what? that that group by the road was bandits. <laughs> And I was going to use the loot off their bodies to help the poor. However, (laughs) the DM decided, no, you are now an Oathbreaker and you have fallen. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Because I just slaughtered like an entire group of people without asking who they were. (laughs) Oh, you went full Anakin. I went a little weird. Yeah, Yeah. I was just so excited because I had never gotten to like have combat. So I was like, yay. <laughs> but were they bad? Does the dungeon master ever tell you afterwards? Like, yeah, they totally were bad. No, he right actually man? was like, it's not the point. Ah, I know, but I still want to know outside of the game. Yeah. You just so- tell me, make sure you don't make me feel like I'm a bad person <laughs> through and through. Yeah. In our Eberron campaign right now, I'm like, God, that NPC is so rude. And he was like, no, you guys literally stole from her. <laughs> and you you were murder hobos uh. well we weren't murder hobos it's just that you know we were hired to go get her something and didn't exactly give her that um but yeah so that's pretty he, amazing he's still he's my husband is is still my dm which is awesome for our home game uh which we play uh over discord with all our friends but um as far as streaming dt uh, i guess it would have been um October or November? Well, what? Go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah. Go, I mean, how, you said it was three point five. Was it? Was it around that time? Was that when nope. you were you were playing? Was that? Uh, how long ago was this? <laughs> Greg, I don't like to say. Anyway, that had to have been probably two thousand six. Oh, okay. My, that That's was my first game. Again. That was my All first right. game, and then I didn't play for years. Mm-hmm. Then um, we had started to play another home game that was a homebrew of, uh, of another friend of ours in which my husband was a player in which my husband, I said, I want to try a bard. I've never played a bard. I'll try a bard. And my husband's like, oh, well, 
Phil and I already wrote up our characters. And I'm like, what? He goes, you can play a bard if you want. I mean, three bards isn't bad. I was like, they were all bards? They were two bards named Jake and Elwood. Oh, did they have tattoos on their on their hands? That I, I I have no idea. But he was like, "You could be our backup dancer," and I'm like, mm-hmm. mm. "That so, sounds fun." I've I always wanted to be that in a band. I always wanted to be the dancer that was like not <laughs> like not really a part of the band, but could go up and like do funny movements around them. Like basically that guy from the Bonnie Mighty Boss Tones. I wanted to be him. Mm, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I tried a sorcerer, and I was really bad at it. Um, <laughs> How were you bad at it? I was just really bad at it. I'm, I'm just really bad. Um, there's no bad sorcerers out there. It's just, there's just bad die rolls. It's not you. It's true. Well, yes, and my dice do tend to hate me. Um, <laughs> so then we kind of we moved. Um, you know, we we moved someplace, uh, and when we moved, it kind of we took a hiatus because we had to get all these other things going. Right. So I guess it had to have been about um, <clears throat> September, October of 2017, and an opera, a, a small opera company um, had said, hey, opera singers, do any of you play D&D? What? And do, do you find that having built characters in D&D helps you play characters on stage? Wait, I, I'm sorry. That's just too perfect and weird and random. That Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I answered, I was like, yeah, you know, and, and, um, I said, it, it does help because when your mind is geared towards fantasy already, it's a little easier to kind of step into someone else and inhabit them. And if you've played a lot of D and D, that's really what it is, is you're, you're inhabiting someone else. Um, and so from that tweet, uh, DM Shane from the Greyhawk channel started following me. He was the first person in the D&D community to follow me. Mm-hmm. And about a month later, he started asking me if I would jump in to his show. I was like, no, no. I've, Why? I've, Why'd you say I've, no? Because I've only, I, I, I told him, I have the, the, the text still. I was like, I've, I've only played with friends. I'm just going to embarrass myself. Um, I don't want anybody to make fun of me. I um, totally relate to all of this. <laughs> I know, this sounds like it's coming right out of Shelly's mouth. <laughs> But only for dungeon mastering for her. Uh, so, I mean, he must have pestered me for, so he pestered me for at least five months. In a good way? A pester? Oh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> like, like he, he'd be like, hey, have another uh, opening for a one shot. Hey, did you want to try? And I'm like, I just, I can't. I, I was like, nobody's going to want to watch me play D&D. Um, and then in that time frame, um, I went away on a job. Um, an opera job to Florida for a month. And that was January, 2018. And I was kind of nervous going down there because it was the first time I'd, I'd, uh, you know, we had just moved and it was the first time I was really going to be away from my husband um, since his diagnosis. Um, And I was like a little worried and everything else. So he says, Hey, you know, while you're down there, there's this really cool show. I think you should listen to, to kind of pass the time. And it's called critical role. Oh, And so I started on the plane. I was stuck in LaGuardia's terminal uh, for six hours for another snowpocalypse. And uh, um, so I'm sorry, JFK. And so I started listening to Critical Role. And um, just the audio, the uh, the just the audio, just the audio. So I had no faces to put to names, you know, um, just this picture that they painted Mm -hmm. with their characters 
which, with their voice. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, so I think I got through most of campaign one in a month. <laughs> like seriously, it was, it was like a binge. When I was and with the four got, or five hour sessions that they have, like that's a lot of time. Well, I was doing Queen of the Night um, in Magic Flute. And so I, I have like two major scenes, but beyond that, I wasn't in rehearsal as much as other people. Mm-hmm. And one of the other covers down there, the cover for Papageno's baritone is also a D&D fanatic, as is his wife, who is an opera soprano who has DM'd for opera companies. So for, for, for those non-theater people who are listening, when you're playing a part, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in an opera, especially opera is a little bit more than other, other things, but when you're just playing as your character and you're not in anything else, there is a lot of downtime when you're performing a show, especially if it's like a two and a half hour show and you're only in a half hour of it, you still mm-hmm. have to be in costume because you have to go back and do a curtain call at the end in costume and makeup. So you're basically yeah. usually just sitting in your dressing room waiting for time to end. Uh, and so when I was a stagehand, I did that a bunch and I just ended up playing a lot of Civilization 3 uh, whenever oh, I could because it was the perfect time waster and I can get up and leave whenever I needed to. Um, but that was only one gig and I, I, I've never been able to recreate that. Yeah, no, I mean, like, like in, in, <clears throat> in Flute, you know, the rehearsal period, uh, the Queen of the Night is a really pivotal character, but she only shows up three times. She's got three scenes, two arias and the finale. That's it. That's crazy. Um, so, you know, downtime during rehearsal, whatever else. So I just sit there with one earbud in and I'm listening to the rest of the rehearsal and, and critical role. And, um, and it was fun. And I was like, you know what, maybe I could do this after all, you know, maybe I could, and I, I'm not going to lie. I only wanted to play a bard more listening to Sam Regal. <laughs> oh, really? I own, I like, I was like, I really want to do this now. <laughs> he was personally inspiring you to, uh, yeah, to, yeah, to go above and beyond from, from Sam there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the baritone and I would be driving from like rehearsal to performance, whatever else. And he had brought his car. So he would just plug his thing in and we both got hooked on critical role. That's so cool. Um, so when I came back, uh, in February, DM Shane was like, look, I'm going to start a series of one shots. That way you can try it. And if you hate it, you don't have to come back. So I finally said yes and created the character that I still use. And the one shot turned into a two shot and then she got ported into a campaign. Nice. (laughs) So now the path of the planes that I do on the Greyhawk channel is my first character that I ever played on stream still playing her, which is. That's great. But now it's like it turned into like a 55 shot. It's a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, even then, like there still wasn't a big boost in, in followers or people asking me to be on their shows. That didn't happen until I can tell you the exact day because it was May 4th and everybody knows May the 4th be with you. So ah. I remember that. And that was the day that Grant Ellis got me to come on a stream to kill Matt Mercer's character <laughs> in a game he was running. And I'm pretty sure Grant, this is going to be really embarrassing. I really hope Matt never hears this. But like, Grant, <laughs> he never listens to this podcast. Don't worry about it. Grant, uh, Grant had said, hey, I want you to come do this. And I said, well, I'm going to be in rehearsals for Bohem. Um, but yeah, I could maybe do it. He says, yeah, you need to just come in, a villain, uh, in as the villain to kill the, this guest that I have on. And he's like, I think you're going to want to do it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, maybe. And he was like, the guest is Matt Mercer. And I was halfway through typing a sentence. And then it just devolved into like numbers and characters across like the text is wow yeah i was like 
<laughs> just started speaking in tongues, basically. I and did. Online speaking. Um, so after that, that's when I started getting, you know, more people asking me to play. And, and the community has just been so great. So tell, I want to hear more about killing Matt's character. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it wasn't a different system. Um, it wasn't in, in, in D&D system. That's cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I, he just wanted me to be the big bad because he knew he only had Matt for one episode. And so he needed a big bad character to, to kill him. What you was know? your big bad character? What did, what did he give you? Um, I was this like giant demon that had been locked in hell for like a thousand years. And his squire, Matt's squire, let me out because I'd been whispering to him all these promises that I was going to help give him this great life and everything else. And uh, if I, if he could just get Matt to the pyramid, cause Matt is this, you know, magical character, this knight. And I was, my plan was I was going to bargain with him and bring him. He, he could come stay with me in hell. So I wouldn't be alone. And I would let his sisters go all four of his sisters I even wrote out all the, the contract and everything in Latin. So I was speaking Ooh. in Latin and like freaking people out in chat, which was great. That's awesome. Wow. Do you just uh, use like Google Translate for that? I did use Google Translate for the Latin. <laughs> I didn't know you could translate into Latin. Did, I awesome. did use Google Translate for the Latin, but the <laughs> the years of doing masses and requiems helped with the pronunciation. Sure. Um, so yeah, uh, I think... I give Matt so many kudos for not rolling his eyes at me because when I went to kill him, I said, how do I want to do this? And then I felt really bad. So it's like, I shouldn't have done that. Good old catchphrases coming back to bite you in the butt. Like, I shouldn't have done that, but I kind of had to do that. <laughs> like if you're going to give me the chance to do, to, to play in a game with, uh, with Matthew Mercer, it's, it's going to happen. I'm going to be a ham. Um, I think that was the right choice. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really fun. And then they killed me off screen. I was really upset. And a later, Aww. I got, I got killed off screen. Oh my God. <laughs> Cause I couldn't come back. I was in rehearsals for an opera. Well, what wow. I think, I think, you know, the community responded to uh, uh, is, is you have this kind of, and you, you have it in your, your online presence as well. This kind of like larger than life presence, you know, you're, 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 you're um, you know, I don't know. You just bring to bear that, that like opera singer type presence to the D&D community and I think that's really cool it comes across in your characters as well as just your your all caps uh yeah, my messages <laughs> it sounds like someone singing an aria uh but you know I hate to sing in caps lock <laughs> exactly I mean, that's pretty much like that's my job I sing in caps lock <laughs> that's how you know the emotions are real is when they're in caps lock I, I mean I I know and and you know I don't think some people realize that um you know opera singers Traditionally, we don't use microphones. So we're singing over a full orchestra with no microphone, no amplification. Yeah. We don't use microphones. How do you have a voice at all? Training. Um, It's a lot of, it's years and years of training. (laughs) It's years of training and using your, the bones in your face, like a amplification chamber. You hit a high note and your eyes start buzzing. It's pretty cool. Oh my God. Um, But so people don't, don't realize that. So this, it, it is this kind of larger than life thing that opera brings that as much as I love musical theater and I always wanted to be in musical theater and I still do. <laughs> um, it's, it's a different bag. Like opera is just 
this huge production in people's minds. Yeah. They think it's a, and it's not always because there, there are, I've done operas that are very small, very intimate operas. Um, but I think that grand scale is what's associated with it. Mm-hmm. And I figured, you know, why not bring that kind of over the top feeling into D and D it's got room for it. Totally. It can, it can support crazy. <laughs> in fact, it's, it's kind <laughs> of built on it in some ways. I know it's great. And I think, I think what's really fascinating about, I mean, it, the opera versus uh, musical theater, although there's a lot of people do this in musical theater too, but like the idea of your body as an instrument, you know, that you are, you know, using your lungs and your diaphragm and your vocal cords and your sinuses to create these sounds that are, you know, the same as, uh, you know, a guitar or a timpani drum or any of those type of things, like that same kind of reverberating power, but it's all within your own body. And there's nothing more D&D like than that of like, you know, you're, you know, using the... We are our own thaumaturgy. Exactly. Uh, and I think that's really fascinating. And I think there's also a crossover between what you're t- saying with Critical Role as well, because those uh, performers are all vocal trained uh, folks, you know, definitely not opera but they use their bodies and their voices as an instrument in their in their day jobs and i think they brought a lot of that theatricality to to D play um that you know is 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 continuing with uh with uh folks like you bringing you know their own special powers to uh to to streaming D and playing these characters well and you're talking a lot you know and you have to know how to use your voice to talk a lot so that you don't lose it right you know like when I do the voiceover work, they love it because I can talk and talk and talk and do background voices and talk and talk and talk and be fine. You know, under the right circumstances, you don't want to do it with like no water or no tea, you know, but um, <clears throat> you can keep going and going and going. And it's it's also about respecting your body as an instrument, mm-hmm. you know, and understanding that it's a fragile thing and you have to take care of it. You know, and, and that's, uh, it is definitely something that I think is very unique to the live performing arts, mm. you know, cause there's no redos. Yeah. <laughs> there's no redos. I've had some really odd stuff happen on stage and I'm like, well, that just happened. Yep. Just can't, <laughs> can't call a do over on that one. Just going to have to roll with that. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Like what's a, what's a, what's an example oh, you can tell us of that? No. Um, you can't just leave that hanging without telling us uh, a good story then. Uh, so I was doing Spam a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was playing the Lady of the Lake in mm-hmm. Spam a lot. And opening night, just like everything that could go wrong for me went wrong for me. Oh, no. And so the first time that uh, the Lady of the Lake appears with Galahad, you're on this moving traveler. It's supposed to be a big fan of the opera joke, you know, the 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 back screen goes up and you come forward and you're like, Oh, you know, it's that the duet I did with Eugenio on, you know, when we were drinking wine. <laughs> and, oh yeah. <laughs> and I remember that. I went to step off of the traveler and my ankle rolled oh. and I landed like full weight on the side of my foot and it hurt really, really bad. And I'm in, in the middle of the song, but without thinking, I went, shit. <laughs> and thankfully because it's monty python it worked everybody thought it was part of the show <laughs> so uh that that's probably my most egregious one i haven't really had a 
a major funny thing happen like that in, in opera mostly. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but that, yeah. I mean, the, the funny thing about that is like, you know, I mean, obviously there's less about rolling your ankle and, and injuring yourself, <laughs> but like, I think that commitment to performance is something that uh, all D and D players can kind of relate to, you know, even, mm-hmm. even last night where I was like, Oh man, this gnome voice didn't really think about it ahead of time. I didn't even know I was going to be doing a gnome. And then I What's was like, What's your gnome oh, voice? Now we got to hear uh, it. Well, he really kind of, he talked like this just a little bit like, oh, all right. And like he was Graham. like a, Graham he was an investigator uh, and, and was just asking like kind of, you know, hard, hard police questions. So I liked that he was like, hey, I'm talking about this. You tell me about what happened last night. And he was doing this. <laughs> but like halfway through, I started like losing it. Uh, I was just doing the hard, hard ass cop voice. And I'm like, oh, wait, this is less funny. They're not laughing as much. I need to go back to the, the, uh, the high pitched, uh, you know, yeah. contrast there because that was the only thing that really worked. Um, well, that's yeah, what happened I, with Sam and Not. Like the first episode with the Mighty Nine, you know, Sam goes to introduce Not, and he's like, "Yes, this is the voice I am staying with for the next year and a half." You know, <laughs> I mean, you create the voice, and and a lot of the stick with it. Uh, especially yep. when it's a, a spoken thing and not a, a sung thing, mm-hmm. a lot of the character comes through in the voice. So <laughs> once you've chosen it. <laughs> You got to stick with it. I know. I think I've told the story of the podcast before, but I did a reading once uh, for a play of the uh, uh, Imaginary Invalid, uh, which is a Moliere thing. And there's kind of a play within a play thing there. And so the actor during the reading chose to do a Kermit voice for this long 15-minute scene. And uh, his Kermit voice is about as uh, well-practiced as me and Shelley's Kermit voices are. (laughs) on here and so about halfway through he was really struggling he was not vocally trained for it he really couldn't get it out anymore started to sound like (laughs) really really straining and to the dude's credit he kept with it uh and then eventually afterwards the director was like i was gonna stop you halfway through but i wanted to see how far you would go to see how far you could keep um you can keep it up. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, obviously we didn't end up doing that uh, voice for, for the actual staging of the show. But, uh, uh, you know, there's something to that. You got, you got to commit uh, and obviously, you know, change up your, your direction as needs be. But I think there is consistency in around the table uh, for Dungeon Masters, you know, especially when you're dealing with different NPCs and stuff like that. But when you have your single character that you're always playing, you know, you don't always know exactly what it's going to sound like in those first few sessions. I have great joy, and I mean, I I guess this is going to mark me as one of those players. Um, (laughs) I take great joy in seeing how far I can push my luck with, like, making the storyline go in unexpected, like, ways that maybe people don't expect. Yeah. And um, it's resulted in in Shane having to do some pretty interesting voices on uh, (laughs) on streaming. Nice. (laughs) Which I'm consistently amused by his God, uh you're pushing him to be more his, his morden canaan is is pretty funny um because his his morden canaan speaks only in shakespearean <laughs> i am mcpentameter wow. he yes he did when we met him the first version of him he spoke in all shakespeare quotes so of course then one of my fellow players zippy and i decided we were going to start quoting shakespeare back at him which wow. just made him quote more shakespeare and it just turned into this very interesting. <laughs> theater nerds playing D and D. This is like the nerdiest of theater nerds. I love it. <laughs> it's so nerdy. 
I mean, I love it. All of, all of my bardic ins- I have my bardic inspiration notebook. All of my bardic inspirations are usually um, repurposed Broadway <laughs> that I just rewrite the the lyrics to. Are you going to read us some? Um, well, one of the the one I'm fam- famous famous <laughs> internet famous. Um, <laughs> The, the one that the first one I ever did was I'm the very model of a bard who's going to kick your ass. And um, it's a on the back of A modern major general that's going to kick your ass. Yeah, it's on the back of my opera geek shirt. Um, but the funny part is I then had to print an opera geek shirt without it because my mother wouldn't wear a shirt that said ass on it. Oh, but that's really cute. She wanted one that said opera geek. Um, she's, yeah, she's actually watching Path of the Plains now. She's never watched any D&D. So she's watching it and I'm getting the best questions <laughs> from my mother. <laughs> she was like, you roll really bad. Thanks, mom. Wow. Yeah. And I, she was, she was like, I don't understand. You're just talking. Is that what D and D is? You're just talking. And I was like, listen, the first thing you need to know about Dungeons and Dragons, is there's only a few dungeons and even fewer dragons. <laughs> And, There's a lot of ampersands, though, because it's all about yes and. Yes, yes and. And so, of course, the first episode, we're stuck in a dungeon, and all I get is this text that just says, you know, a dragon could get you out of this dungeon. <laughs> Thanks, oh Mom. He's like, I love you, Mom. Yeah, I'm just she waiting. wants to be a dungeon master. Well, it I'm, sounds like it. I'm waiting because I was explaining all the different dice to her and, and, and everything else, and she's like, you know, I'm just, I'm watching. I said, don't watch. You don't have to watch. Put it on your headphones, walk around, do housework, whatever. I was like, think of it like a radio play. Yeah, exactly. Because that's kind of how I, when I'm playing, that's kind of how I feel. You're using your voice, your characterizations to build a picture in the minds of other people. Mm -hmm. If they can't watch, you want them to still get the full image. And a great dungeon master helps with that. But the players, there's there's a burden on the players as well to create images and characters that will be memorable, to make decisions that will make the game more enjoyable for the other players, for themselves. Um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I think that that comes into it a lot. If you think of of streaming D and D as more like listening to a, a, a radio play the theater of the mind comes back and you don't yeah. have to worry as much about, Oh, do they have a really cool model? Or do they have a really cool map? And I mean, don't get me wrong. I love really cool models and really cool maps, but sometimes it's fun to just sit down and, and listen to the story people are telling, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I'm, I mean, I'm I a think- giant nerd. But even when even when you're not streaming, I think a lot of D and D fans out there would benefit from that kind of description and things like that. You mm-hmm. know, I've definitely been in uh, newer tables and things like that where uh, you know people are just like, "I'm a rogue and I've got some swords." I'm like, "All right, well, what is what does your rogue look like? What is, you know, describe it in a way that isn't just mechanical." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, some people are really challenged by that. You know, especially if they're just you know have, have only played. Um, you know, uh, in groups that don't encourage that type of thing. But I, I, I get a huge kick out of, you know, cr- trying to create that mental image through, uh, through, through what you're describing uh, and, and make it feel as real as possible. Yeah, and I mean, something to keep in mind as well, and, and I try to keep this in mind when I'm playing. I'm, I'm not always 
perfect at it, but it's trying. Is that you also have to remember that you've got viewers who might not be able to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you have those kind of viewers, you want them to have as just as an enjoyable experience as people who can sit and watch the stream. Um, and I, I think remembering that and really building out that description of your character will also help. Cause I'm not going to lie. Some of it is totally winging it because you create this character and you start describing them like, well, if they do that, then this part would be really cool too. And it just starts to snowball. And then you end up with a backstory. Right. <laughs> you know? Oh, and by the way, if you think the Latin was, was nerdy, if you think me translate Latin, I translated into Elvish. What? Sindarin? Or Noldorin? Yes, because one of our characters died uh, because the player, sadly, his schedule changed. So his character got eaten by the Pillar of Skulls, which was incredibly disgusting. Oh, you know, like you do. Uh, yeah, like, like it was full-on Event Horizon, like, <laughs> gross. Nosferatu. But yeah, so my character, spoiler alert um, for anybody who hasn't watched, is was raised in Valuna, which is a religious state. And um, since she was a singer, she would have participated in religious funerals. So I translated uh, uh, a verse that was actually from a Broadway show into, into Elvish. <laughs> You could have just gone with the lay of Mithran- the Mithrandir from uh, you know, know. From, from Tolkien, but you decided to go the extra mile, and yep. I respect that. I really want to do the musical Titanic, and I was like, I'm going to sing something from Titanic regardless. It's just wow. an Elvish. It's just an Elvish. Yeah. I'm the ki- a- how, does, how does the I'm the king of the world translate to? <laughs> I don't know, but there is a website that I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. The next nice. project. I mean, so like... If you if you watch the show, like this was supposed to be my show notes, this notebook. Yeah. And it really just turned into Kelly got a weird idea for a bardic inspiration. And so now it's just full of like rewritten Hamilton verses and Evita <laughs> Hello Dolly. I love that. I love that. Um I also love that you're thinking about how you know, to perform something. It's something I've also been trying to uh infuse my games with is when Clerics, especially, uh, uh, you know, cast spells. I'm always like, what do you do? Like, how does it look when you cast a spell? Like, what do you sound like? What do you say? And, uh, you know, I've been trying to challenge my players to come up with, with stuff like that because, you know, I don't know. I just like, if, if you're praying to a god, you know, you have, you say something, right? There's definitely some words that come out there and they can either be improvised. Most of them are <laughs> completely improvised. You just make something up and it you know, sounds plausible or write it out ahead of time and have mm-hmm. them ready to go. Like when you're casting a sacred flame or something that you're going to do like more commonly, yeah. you know, what, what invocation do you say when you do that? You know, the whole way we think about organized religions and things like that is all about, you know, repeating the same words over and over again. Exactly. So they would have a chant or a, a phrase that would be, you know, uh, calling upon that power and stuff like that. So what is that? I think that's really cool to kind of infuse into your game. Yeah, I have like, I, I think I have about 10 bardic inspirations that I cycle. Um, not, not just bardic inspirations, I'm sorry, but also vicious mockeries. I was just going to say, um, I hope vicious mockery you have a list yeah. of that the, as well. The I well am Shakespeare is perfect for that. I know, right? Do you bite your thumb at me? <laughs> the, uh, the Pirates of Penzance is a vicious mockery. Mm. Um, as is, I think, Into the Woods. That's some good oh, stuff. Oh, no, Into in the there. Woods is cutting, is cutting words. 
<laughs> agony, the power of speech, when the one thing you want, well, it's just out of reach, you know, and then hopefully your dice help you be out of reach. In my case, they never do. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, it's, it's when you think about a character, like exactly like you said, a cleric or a character that was raised in a religious state, there are going to be rituals that they're used to. If you're playing a wizard, if you're playing a sorcerer, what does your ritual look like? Mm-hmm. What do you do to create this this um, this spell? Um, you know, uh, I like I really appreciate it. <clears throat> a really good example of this again, uh, Liam O'Brien always says which components he's using and how he's using them and what it looks like, and it kind of influenced the fact that. I would be a little bit lazy about components and now I actually care <laughs> if I've got them or not. Um, That's cool. In my, in my games with my husband, he enforces it. Um, like whether you have your, your material components for your spells. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I'm playing a barbarian now. It's a little, that's difficult, but yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm playing cause we're, we're running Eberron, which I, I'd never played in. And um, he was the only one that had any experience with Eberron. So he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll run this. Um, it's not a module or anything. It's just he's created this story. And, um, and so I'm, I'm playing a Kalashtar barbarian who thinks she's a human, doesn't realize she's Kalashtar. Nice. And so the, is it Corey? Is that how you say Corey? Takes over when she's raging, which is why she doesn't remember when she rages. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it's like the little things. That's fun, but yeah. yeah. These are really good characters. Like, these all could actually be, like, characters from an opera. That's the point. I know. Uh, I really think, like, whoever asked you that question on Twitter initially was, like, they're definitely onto something. There's a ton of opera singers who play D&D. I'm actually the mod of a whole forum called Dungeons & Dragons and High Notes. And it's, there's, like, Uh, I I mean. D&D musical is going to happen. Um. It's going there opera. A, Let's just there, go full opera. Yeah, uh, there it. is one being written. What? Uh, so I have a friend, and I never pronounce her last name right. I'm not going to butcher it. Uh, Patricia. She is a composer, and she was commissioned to do a chamber opera <clears throat> based on D&D. There are different outcomes. You have to roll for them. The, the, um, the characters or the audience? I think it might be. I'm not sure if it's the character or if it's the conductor, mm. music director, who has to roll for him. Ooh, neat. Um, but I was like, listen, after whoever you co- the commissioned it gets a hold of it, I'm, you're sending it to me. It's, you know, because the main, I think one of the main characters is a, this giant redheaded fighter. I'm like, yes, thank you. Inspired by? Uh, no, I, this was before I met her. Interesting. Oh my gosh. That's so before, cool. Before I met her. And then I found all these, these, um, a whole bunch of opera singers who play D and D and it's really cool. Um, to see because we're all like in, in opera, there's this idea that it's grand and formal and it's hard to explain. Opera started as something for the masses. It was for the public. Mm. It was, you know, it, it was for people like kind of like Shakespeare. People think of Shakespeare's hoity toity. Shakespeare was for the common man. And the that's, what op- that's what opera started out as you know, all of a sudden there's this musical performance that's in your native language. It's only recently, I would say in the past, maybe hundred years that um, you're performing in a foreign language in your own country. It used to be, you would perform it in your own language. It would get translated. 
and you'd sing it in your own language. Right. Um, and I think the fact that like my current opera agent and everything, she's totally chill. She's like, let your geek flag fly. I don't need you to be this, this hoity toity diva who's untouchable or whatever. She's like, just be you, mm. you know, and look where it's gotten me. <laughs> um, it's, I think that's, I mean, that's really important for, for everybody. I think nowadays it's like, you know, uh, uh, there's, there used to be that thought if you were going to be a professional, you couldn't show your, your gaming side or your geeky side in any way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more and more over the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, it's like, no, that's, that's what people, you know, show your passions, whatever those passions may be, you know? And, uh, uh, I, I think it's, it's by sharing that passion, that's where networks are created and, and, you know, you're a perfect example of that for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking, I was talking to my husband and, um, you know, because, cause I'd had, you know, January was a rough month <laughs> and, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty depressed uh, about a lot of stuff that happened and, you know, roles that I really wanted that I didn't get. Mm. And I was like, you know, and now I have to go on stream because I, I stream video games sometimes on my Twitch on Friday nights. So and now I have to go on stream and like be happy. And he's like, why? Go on the stream. Let them know you've had a rough day. Yeah. Let them see you're human. And um, the other person to echo that, and I think you just had her on here, is Devin Rue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like, be human. People react to your humanity. You know, they don't react to a product. Yeah. Right. You know, you can be, you can be yourself and, you know, have this opera geek branding thing, but also let people know that, you're human. Crap happens. You can't always be caps lock and happiness, you know? And, and it's, it's true. Um, and again, D and D again, is a great way for people to explore the fact that what, one of the things I love about it is that it asks you to have your faults. It asks you to list your faults. Yeah. Put your flaws down there. In addition Put your to your flaws. Yeah you know, your flaws affect how you play and they affect your character. And how do you work that flaw into your character? How do you make that flaw work for you and mm-hmm. not against you? You know, yeah, or, or, or how you deal with that flaw in a way that it becomes uh, not necessarily advantageous, but just the disadvantages are, are reduced, you know, or that your, you know, your, mm-hmm. your team members can lift you up in those situations where the disadvantage is, is there. Exactly. And, and one of the things I, I really love about theater is very true with D&D. You can learn a lot about other people and other people's life experiences by trying to see through their eyes. Mm-hmm by creating a character that's um, maybe not so much like you. Cause I think we all know the first D and D character you make is pretty much yourself. Right. The, I mean, flat out, my paladin was me only. I don't murder groups of people by the road. That we know um, of. Yes. <laughs> my husband has a joke that he has letters that are, are waiting. If nobody hears from him in two weeks, his friends are supposed to open the letter and go to the cops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, um, but um, you can you can learn a lot by stretching yourself outside your comfort zone 
And it's easier to do that in the comfort of your own home and in your mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think, I think it's a great way to open yourself up to the diversity of the world around you by inhabiting this, this fantasy world that has endless possibilities, you know, it's like, a, it's like an empathy tool or it's it like really a, is. It's a tool to, to develop your empathy muscle. It is. And, and I think fantasy is so important for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I hate it when people rag on fantasy, uh, you know, novels and everything else. And, and, um, uh, one of my favorite authors is Terry Pratchett and he has a quote and I'm going to, you know, paraphrase it, but he has a quote that says humans need fantasy to be human. Mm -hmm. And it's true. You know, it's working your brain and, and developing empathy for your fellow players, developing empathy for your character, which is important because sometimes you don't like your character. And in theater, sometimes you don't like the character that you're playing, that you get right. hired to play. There's a lot of dumb girls in opera. <laughs> a lot of silly boys as well. There's a lot of silly boys, but there's a lot of dumb, oh, I just met him and I'm going to love him forever, so I'm going to get killed in his place. Wait, what? <laughs> It's like The Bachelor. See? It's just like The Bachelor. That's exactly what they say on The Bachelor. We're like, don't die for him. That doesn't make any sense. We don't even know him. I'm sitting here. I'm like, listen, listen, Jilda. This is Rigoletto. Listen, you're 16, kid. You got you so just, much more. You just yeah. looked through a window and saw him romancing another woman with La Donna Mobile, which, you know, the big famous... Aria, you just saw him do it. And you just found out he lied to you about his name. You just found out. And you're going to walk in there and let yourself get killed for him. That sounds like a smart move. Right. Let's sing a song about it. it well, I think, I think it's more like, let's sing a trio. Then, <laughs> then let's sing a protracted death scene. Because after you've been stabbed multiple times in the lungs, the, the true thing you're going to do is sing six minutes. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. what I do. Yeah, especially with holes in yeah, My dad bought me a shirt that just says, funny, she doesn't sound like she's dying of consumption. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, uh, so I, I feel like we'd be remiss in talking to you without getting some, some, some bardic tips. I mean, you already talked about bardic inspiration, <laughs> but like folks who are playing as bards, you know, we, you know, the voice has always been a very big... Uh, uh, you know, go-to for the instrument that, that folks play with uh, as, as a bard, you know, in addition to lutes and all those things. But like, you know, what are some, some real-life bard things that people can infuse their, their, their bard characters with, if, uh, if you could think of any? Uh, if I can think of any. Um, I mean, beyond the basic, which is, you know, tailor the type of song to mm -hmm. what you're doing, you know. Um, uh, tailor the sound of your singing voice. Your singing voice can change. It doesn't have to always sound the same. You can, you can affect your singing voice as well. Um, don't be afraid to be stupid. <laughs> Good advice. Like, don't be afraid to look like a total idiot. Because half the time, that's where the best things are going to happen. Right. It really is. And, um, you know, personally, I don't play any other instruments. <laughs> So the voice was my, I was like, I don't want to take a lute or a lyre. I can't play any of this crap. 
I'm just going to sing it. So think about the fact that if you're a bard and you can only sing, are you used to having a backup band? Are you used to having people supporting you? Play it like that. Mm. You know, if you're, uh, if you're the lead singer and you suddenly don't have any backup, can your bard stay on pitch? Can your bard sing a cappella? <laughs> can your bard <laughs> hold a tune? You know? Um, My bard can't. <laughs> My bard is very terrible at, at, at uh, uh, being on note. As my um, wife is, yeah. is is fond of telling me. <laughs> I mean, it's some it's something to think about when you're when you're playing a bard, as if your bard is really a solo performer or an ensemble performer. It's a good point. You know, right? um, that can affect uh, the way in which you do your spell setup. It can affect how you use your bardic inspiration. Are you going to use bardic inspirations, or are you going to use cutting words? Are you going to care more about what happens to you or what happens to your teammate? Mm. You know, um, yeah, uh, it's, but really, I, I think the best one is just don't be afraid to be as out there there. You can always pull yourself back, you know, be as crazy as you want and you can always tone it down. But once you've started at a certain level, it's hard to tone it up without looking crazy. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Personally. Bars are so oh, complex. Bards, like, I mean, I joke constantly about, about the, the bards seducing everybody and, and everything else. My bard has never seduced anybody. Not once. Um, I don't think I've even tried to charisma my way out of a boss fight. Uh, I've tried to talk my way out of, out of, like, smaller fights. But the old trope about the bard seducing the big villain, I might have wanted to try it with Strahd, but I did not. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> Mostly because we weren't fighting Strahd. I think uh, we ended up fighting Vecna and there was no way I was seducing that. No, no. That's, that's no, that's gross. I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm resisting making a handsy joke there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but thanks to the Ember Temple, my bard does now have base charisma 22 plus oh. seven. That's, that's pretty I, good I inhaled, for a bard. I inhaled some grave dust. And <laughs> the, uh, I think the, the bad thing about it, because you know, each of the dark gifts has the good thing and the bad thing. I think the bad thing was, you don't take no for an answer. And I'm like, well, I already don't. So is this really a bad what thing? I do with charisma that high? Nobody's going to say no. Yeah. No one's going to say no. Um, but yeah, I really, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with taking other people's characters that you've seen and starting that as a base idea, but there's no one right way to play any class. Right. There's no one right way to DM. There's no one right way to be a bard. Take that idea and say, say you know what? Um, my bard wants to be a singer, but I don't like opera. How dare you? <laughs> I don't like opera. I'm going to make my, my bard a heavy metal singer. Yeah. Metal. You know, I'm going to make my bard look like the lead singer from Amon Amarth and look like this gigantic, like, metal dude with a long... And that is just as valid as the crazy opera singer. Yeah, that's true. 
And I personally think that Bard lends itself to be a villain really well. Yeah, because, you know, what is what is a defining feature of a lot of villains is how they manipulate and mm-hmm. uh, get people to, you know, their henchmen to do their will. And uh, yeah, that seems very bardic. It is. And again, if you go and if, if people go and, and read the just the, um, the librettos or the synopses of some of these operas, mm-hmm. they run like D&D campaigns. <laughs> yeah. Magic flu, so if you need runs- ideas... Just go. Magic really runs like a, a wealth campaign. of information. Yeah. I mean, Magic Flute runs like a D&D campaign. It really, really does. Um, and it's a fantasy opera, so that makes life even easier. You can set it anywhere you want. You know, Good on Mozart. Um, good old Mozart. It's true. And you can actually, you know, honestly, watching Amadeus is a good inspiration for uh, yeah. villains and, uh, uh, you know, basically a lot of fantasy and think, are, and think about it. Movie. If you run a stream, if you run a stream and you're the DM of a stream and you're like, I want some really good background music, dude, go look at Mozart. Mozart's got you covered, man. Nice. And that's in the public it. domain too. So we got to yep. get a, a, a Sirenscape to put some, some Mozart sounds yeah. in there. That'd you be get, sweet. You get, you get a boss fight. You start playing that commendatory scene from Don Giovanni underneath it. Like, yeah. It's, How does that go? <laughs> I'm going to make you hum. Damn it. It's, but it's the one from Amadeus. It's the famous one from Amadeus where the statue kicks through the wall. Yeah. Um, it's, it's awesome. pretty badass. That is definitely really badass. Super, super cool. Um, but yeah, um, I listen to, to really cool opera choruses to like get hyped up for streams. You know, don't be afraid to remember that music sets a mood. True. And remember that for your bards too. You can set the mood of a fight depending on how you your character deals with it musically. If you want to see how much music can set the mood, watch Jaws without soundtrack. It's not scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's not scary without the music. It's true. You know, um, so I, I think I think music plays a lot more part in in D and D than people would think. Because I think everybody knows, like, a lot of people make um, playlists for characters because they think, you know, they, they connect them with a song or whatever. So, yeah, just roll with it. Have fun. Shatter things. I like it. With your voice. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could shatter things with my voice. Well, that, that, that is a thing in, the, in the, the Bard subclass that I did. You can, in fact, uh, shatter. The sh- shatter is, a, is uh, something you can do that will actually stun the crap out of somebody. Mm. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. Now I feel like I have so many inspirations. You basically bardically inspired me yeah. uh, uh, to, to not only play bards, but just infuse all of this, this kind of stuff in my dungeon mastering and in, in all of the characters I play. Yeah. It's, you know, just, I mean, you're theatrical. Yeah. You know. Make it work. Set. I mean, even if you're not, even if you're not theatrical, I think it's, it, it, you can totally, you know, if you don't have a theater background or any kind of performance mm-hmm. background, I think you can still use a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. Um, and, you know, and, and, and learn and go find out more and, and use it all as inspiration. I think a oh, lot yeah. of people love to, like as you were saying earlier, like to concentrate on maps and, and physical items and things like that. But like, you know, these are important performance things that I think, uh, uh, you know, folks could, could latch onto pretty quick. And even if you've never done theater and you've played D&D, you've done theater. <laughs> right? It's true. You've done theater. 
it's 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 no different. You're creating a character, you're setting a scene, especially as a DM. You know, I can't imagine how useful it has to be for you that you you did tech stuff and now you're building worlds. You know? Mm-hmm. It's just it is, it's, it's not, yeah. It's not going to be as catastrophic if you forget to nail something together. Um, you know. <laughs> I mean, I never forgot to, to, to Please don't. those two pieces of wood together in the right way. That You'll never I know admit of. it. Yeah. <laughs> I plead the fifth. I might have left out a nail or two that, uh, uh, you know, performers would be like, you can't leave it. Yeah, I'm going to hit my head on that type of thing. I'm like, oh, actors. Oh, <laughs> actors. Who cares about actors? You're not going to hurt yourself. Um, but uh don't say that because i i can hurt myself on anything it's very easy for for actors to hurt themselves it is true um but i uh have been like i said just super inspired by all this conversation i think it's fantastic uh uh, i want more people to take your advice in the future uh so how can people find you online and uh and get in touch with you about all these fun things um well all of my links are on my twitter so my twitter is at the opera geek um I'm actually at the Opera Geek on Twitter and Instagram, but not on Facebook and YouTube where someone else got it first. Um, what? Really? I know, right? How dare they We need to have a battle. Battle of the Opera Geek. I know. Uh, so YouTube, Kelly the Opera Geek. Uh, Facebook is just Opera Geek. Um, but um, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I love hearing about people. Like people have been writing to me. Oh, I just rolled up a College of the Opera bar. And I'm like, tell me about it. I want to know. What did yes. you do? Oh my gosh, we didn't you know? even get to talk about that. Yeah, can you do a quick uh, uh, a bit about, about that supplement that's on the DMs Guild? Yes, uh, College of the Opera, which um, Hannah Rose and I um, created, started with a really silly tweet about, hey, why can't I use my voice as an instrument because I can't play anything else? And um, it went from there, and uh, Hannah and I went back and forth on it, and um, she's such a great writer. <laughs> Um, so she took my idea and just made it into this thing that I didn't think was possible from my stupid tweet. <laughs> yeah. um, and so now it's great. And and it's a lot, um, it has something that I think people don't use enough, which is crowd control. Mm. Um, so I don't want to give away too much of it, but uh, the shatter thing is there. But it's uh, it's already gold on the DMs Guild. It went gold within the first uh, 10 days. Awesome. Nice. Thanks. Which was was really great. Um, The cover of it is actually me as the Queen of the Night from that show in Florida where I started listening to Critical Role. Um, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I think what it does is it gives you this, and it very specifically says that this kind of bard tends to either be a great hero or a great villain. Mm-hmm. You know, not really in between, because opera doesn't do things by halves. We we go all the way. <laughs> so um, that's been a great experience, and the reaction to it from the community has really been fantastic. And it means a lot to Hannah and myself that people took to it so much. And I really hope that, like, a really kind of part of secret thing i'm like i really hope it makes some people listen to opera you know if they're making a bard and getting in the mood for it they'll be like oh this isn't boring i'm like no we kill everybody it's not boring <laughs> everybody dies it's like um, it, yeah. 
I die in so many ways. It's the first thing my husband asked me when I get a new role. Do you die in this one? <laughs> Wishful thinking? Maybe. Mm, maybe. Uh, uh, but it's only on stage. Uh, yeah, only exactly. on stage. Sorry, I come home after. Um, uh, so I love I love that you guys created like this new subclass mm-hmm. uh, uh, for, for folks to try out. And uh, yeah, it's up on Dungeon Masters Guild right now. So, so jump in and download it. It's only a buck ninety nine. Come on. Right? I mean... For all that uh, inspiration that you've laid out just in this interview alone, I feel like right. it's worth a buck ninety nine. Buck ninety nine. Um, but yeah, so you can catch me. Um, just come on my Twitter and you know talk to me. I'm pretty responsive. Uh, and um, my regular D and D game is on Twitch on Wednesdays on the Greyhawk channel, where I am Greyhawk singing a bard <laughs> who is totally not trying to seduce villains. Just. Singing her heart out. Just singing her heart out and being cynical. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for being uh, here with us, Kelly, in this snowmageddon. Uh, I know yeah. it is uh, always difficult, uh, but we made it work and we got it all down and I'm excited yeah. and uh, can't coast. wait to give you a high five in person wow. one of these days uh, at one of these crazy events out there. So thank I you know, again for calling great. in. Uh, you're the best, and everybody go 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 follow uh, the Opera Geek and everything you do. And listen to opera. And listen, and to, listen opera. to opera. That was amazing. I feel like I, mean, I say this about a lot of our guests, but I feel like I think I could have spoken to her for another like three hours about all of her life. I agree, and I yeah. don't even think that we like scratched the surface. I know there's so much more. Um, so definitely check out if you can the uh, uh, the opera. Um, subclass uh, that you're talking the college of the opera oh i know that sounds awesome it's a bard college it's available up on the dungeon masters guild right now uh her and hannah rose uh contributed to making that an amazing thing so do it check it out uh where can people find out more about what you're doing mr shelly mr mrs shelly we've been away from each other for too long it's true <laughs> we need to be in the same location again um i am at twitter at shelly moo or facebook but don't go there unless you want what, bachelor recaps. Which I know you all do. Uh, right. What about things, all things Avalon Hilly? Avalon Hill, you do want to go to. Go to Avalon Hill 2 at, um, on Twitter or Avalon Hill Games on Facebook. Because there's some news. There's newsy news stuff. There's newsy news out there. There is an Access and Allies online coming to early access on Steam, correct? How awesome is that? Yes. Coming soon. From you get to Zip Beam Dog. It's you get to move around your 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 battleships and your you aircraft get to play carriers. With people everywhere, all around the world. You can have multiple games going at the same time. I think is one of the best features of and uh, the AI. I think too. and yeah, right. You can play against the computer and hone yeah. your skills. And it's a Fine. great way to learn if you've never learned before or mm-hmm. never played Access to Nellies before. So check that out for sure. Go to our Facebook page or um, Beam Dogs social media or their web page to find out more information on that. Awesome. And there will be uh, more information on Dungeons and Dragons uh, adventures to come. Uh, they are, uh, you know, land ho. We will what? see them far away over the horizon of the, the, the briny waves. Love it. <laughs> it's going to be there. great. Uh, there might be uh, some, some sea shanties uh, that the uh, scalds of the north could sing in inspiration of our, our guest. More singing. 
come from the land of the Eisenstein. All right, I'm, I'm doing enough uh, Led Zeppelin. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I am Greg Tito. I am at Greg Tito on the Twitters. And if you want to find out anything about Dungeons and Dragons, there's a website. It's called DungeonsandDragons.com. It's all there. Um, there is also lots of programming going on on twitch.tv slash dnd and you can always check out dragon plus uh when it is available it should be in the next couple of weeks perhaps even timed up with our crazy announcement uh that is happening at the end of february so download it it's available on your android and uh ios phones and you can check out all the dragon plus content on dragonmag.com as well anything else we should we should leave these people with with the snowmageddon before we get out of here I think that is good information, but maybe buy a snow shovel and sim de-icer before it snows. And more white wine uh, needs to go directly to oh, the Mazenoble house. I will take red or rosé. Nice. I like that uh, 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 Kelly pronounced it Mazenoble. That was amazing. I know. And With I like... didn't want to be like, oh, it's really just Mazenoble. <laughs> it's probably not. But Way to class it up. Yeah. Was, be so classy. Classy around these parts. You know what else is really classy is this cave we're hanging out in. It's like these these rocks above us were just designed to look very nice. Let me just kind of. I don't know if you would touch one though. They look a little bit fragile. Don't touch it. Ah! Oh. <laughs> is that you throwing up while you're dying? <laughs> I'm, gir- I'm trying to do a good <laughs> opera death. <laughs> uh, 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 wow. Gurgle, uh. gurgle, gurgle. gurgle.